0: The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.
1: Today, we got an awesome episode for you. We have Rich Fetke, who's the author of The Wise Investor, a modern parable about creating financial freedom and living your best life. He's a licensed real estate broker, active investor, and co founder of Real Wealth, which is, which is a real estate investment group that's helped over 60,000 members improve financial intelligence, secure passive income, and obtain financial freedom. So, we got a, a lot to discuss today, and I'm very excited. Uh, so, Rich, welcome on the show.
0: Thank you. Good to be here. Looking forward to it.
1: Awesome. So the way I like to start every show is to say, what's your first milestone? And um, so, yeah, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to real estate um, and touching on your first milestone, that'd be awesome.
0: Sure. My first milestone for real estate happened about 25 years ago. I mean, what happened first was um, my wife Kathy, her dad um, was involved in an apartment building as an investor, and his partner sold that and called him up, or actually they sent him a letter and told him that they had sold it, and he didn't get that letter for a couple weeks after they sold it, so that limited his time to do a 1031 exchange, and so he was like, "What am I going to do here?" He reached out to his five different kids and said. I need to get a property and if you can find a property, you can be my tenant and then eventually you can own it. So Kathy rallied, got out there. She found a property up in the San Francisco Bay Bay area where we were living. We had only been married just a few months then in 1997. And so we got this place. It was 4,200 square feet, beautiful place. Uh, We got in there, but we looked at it and we're like, there's no way we can afford this mortgage payment and this rental payment. but we looked at the lower units and we're like, wait a minute, we can convert these into little apartments. So we converted these two lower apartments uh, and units into apartments. And then we even took the master bedroom that had an outside entrance on the second floor. And we locked that off from the rest of the house and turned that into a unit. So early, early days of house hacking back in 1997, right. we put ads on Craigslist to get our tenants. And so that was our start as being landlords. And we got to live in the upper part of the house. It was beautiful and got to learn what it was like to collect rents and deal with tenants, which we didn't mind at all. It was great. We have one of our best friends in one of the units. Um, That, at the same time, I was building a coaching practice and I built that up over the years and became very successful with that and had a thriving coaching practice. Then I signed a book deal with Simon & Schuster. I was giving keynote speeches all over the country And then I was diagnosed with melanoma, which is the most advanced form of skin cancer, which is not the worst thing in the world, but the doctors thought that it had spread to my liver and they told me I I had six months to live. So that was the impetus for us to get into real estate investing because Kathy was like, if Rich is gone, she was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And she said, if Rich dies, what am I going to do financially? So she started to seek out mentors and she found that the successful... Financial mentors were the ones who had made their money through real estate. So she got all excited about that. She said, I think I know what I can do. I know what I can do. It's real estate investing. Uh, thankfully, the doctor's diagnosis was wrong. Three months later, after several tests, uh, they diagnosed me and they said it was a false positive. They said I was cancer free. Um, the melanoma had not spread to my liver like they thought, but that was enough uh, fear and challenge and all that for um, Kathy to rally and find a way to make ends meet if I died. And that was real estate investing. So after we got the good news, we uh, did a cash out refi for that from that house. And we paid Kathy's dad back for what he put down. And uh, we acquired that house and then we took the rest of the money and we bought five rental properties in Rockwall, Texas, which is a little north of Dallas. And that is what really got us into real estate investing, being out-of-state landlords, and then we started to have friends and family ask us how we were doing it. How are you living in the San Francisco Bay Area and and buying properties in Dallas? And so we said, let's let's form a group, um, figure it out, and you know show people how we we're doing it. And that little group that we thought would be a little group today is grown to over 65,000 members today. Um, The company that we built is called Real Wealth. And that's what we do today. We help people get into investment properties around the country, uh, ranging from one to four units to multifamily, and we syndicate. And so that's what we've been up to the last 20 years. And that's, that was our kind of the milestone. So the milestone would have been that first property. And then the second milestone would have been uh, that challenging diagnosis that got us to start investing out of state.
1: Yeah, well, that's really powerful. And I mean, it's, it's really interesting to hear how something that's clearly like a worst case scenario ended up being the starting the rest of your life, starting like your passion and really invigorating the. Your ability to just make an impact on the world, and it's um, you know, it's it's crazy how there's that silver lining. You might say like a maybe it's a gold lining at that point, but uh, that's, that's really <laughs> right, amazing. Yeah. I like that, right? And it's uh, yes, yeah, so that's amazing. Well, um, I'd like to keep going from there. So uh, you started investing out of state and and growing the group. Can you kind of tell us more how the group evolved over time, and then also how your real estate portfolio did to evolve over time?
0: Yeah. So back then I was more like the chief support guy. I was building the website. I was getting uh, everything set up on iTunes. When this new thing called podcasting came out in 2005, Um, Kathy had this small radio show that she started in San Francisco. And I would take the CD from that, convert it into an MP3, and then upload it to iTunes back then. So um, we had one of the first real estate podcasts on, on Apple, on iTunes. And that made our group grow so fast because all of a sudden we expanded our reach instead of just the San Francisco Bay area and just family and friends and some clients up there. All of a sudden we were reaching people all over the world and that's when our membership of real wealth. And we've all it's always been free to join real wealth. And we've always provided our education for free. Um, the way we make money is I'm a real estate broker. So when we refer a client to another broker out of state, then we, and they buy a property, we get a broker to broker referral fee, like any other real estate transaction. So we started to help more and more people do this. And the way we would find these brokers and property teams is usually would be Kathy. She would, in the early days, she would go out on the road. Uh, first, she would research markets to see you know where the people go the money flows right so it was like what are our emerging markets where are companies going where's healthcare going where's tech going where are people moving and so we'd identify the market first she'd fly out to that market and she would just go around and interview property managers um what's it like around here what are rents like what are tenants like what are your vacancy rates like um, what are the properties like what are the costs of the properties what's the price price to rent ratio all this stuff and, um, and then once she, and then she would also say, do you know, anyone out here who does fix and flips, you know, do they fix fix these properties up and can you put a tenant in place? And then that's how we originally set it up. And that's kind of carried over to today. Now we have two property teams, managers who go out and do all that work. And they're very experienced. They've, they've been flippers. They've, you know, been the game, they're investors. And that's what they do now is they'll go out and they'll meet with brokers and property teams, they'll look at the properties, they'll look at the condition of their rehabs, or if it's new build, they'll look at the new build construction, they'll look at the neighborhoods and all that. And then if it's a a team that really seems to fit, and after we do our due diligence and background check and all that, then we will offer them to our members. And so we educate our members, they meet with our investment counselors, and they usually choose three or four markets, and then they'll either fly out and check out the properties or some of them, the more experienced investors will just do like a video walkthrough. They'll do it all remote. Um, Just using videos and doing FaceTime or something like that or Skype with our property teams to be able to see the properties. And then they always get an appraisal and inspection so they can really know that the properties are what they say they are. Um, So it's worked really well. So we've we've helped a lot of people acquire a lot of real estate. Actually, we're at $1.1 billion of assets acquired from our members. So it really just feels good on the heart.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, um, you know, very powerful to know that you're helping so many people accomplish the same things that have made your life, you know, suited to your desires and your needs and and you're, um, you know, getting the most out of it. And I know like, you have the concept of real wealth. And I kind of want to know more what, is, what does that mean? Because I know it's more than just a pun with real estate and wealth, but it's uh, something much deeper to that. That, that much idea. deeper. Yeah,
0: you know, being told that I had six months to live had a powerful impact on me and Kathy. And it really have, have had us realize that there's so much more to life than money. You know, we were in that success game, you know, just striving so much to, you know, be a millionaire and, and all this stuff. And then we realized going through that, it's like, you know, money's important. Money makes life a lot easier and a lot better but it's definitely just a means to an end. you know. So it's about fulfillment and people. And so that's why when we named our company Real Wealth, it was about real wealth, not just wealth, not just money, not being rich. And we see real wealth as having the money, but also the freedom to live life on your own terms. And so that is our purpose. That's been our purpose since day one in 2003 is to help people achieve and create real wealth. So they they have the money and freedom to live life on their own terms so they can do what they want, when they want, with the people they want to be with, be better parents, uh, have more time with their family, live more balanced lives. So yeah, it's really near and dear to our hearts. And Kathy and I are both certified coaches. So we went through that way back in 1995, going through coach training. And in coach training, you learn a lot about uh, having, living a more balanced life, about making time for yourself, about getting support and help from other people. So we kind of just kind of blended all of that personal development and coaching and business all together into real estate investing. And that's why we formed real wealth. It's our purpose.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's uh very powerful. And um, so I mean, clearly there's been a lot of success in in your story so far. We've gotten to um a hundred over over, sorry, over a billion dollars in um real estate transactions and and people are just like value and wealth hmm. built you could say um, but i'm assuming that it was not all smooth sailing and that it wasn't just <laughs> all all the, the pretty picture that we we may have now so I, i'd love to hear if there's any kind of tribulations any kind of um, you know major hiccups that might have uh you know been some of the fears that you would have had investing in real estate and how you overcame them and kind of how you what you learned from that
0: Uh, No, we've never had any challenges. Oh, no, there was that year 2008. (laughs) And, you know, we started the company in 2003 and we had a lot of investments and a lot of loans and a lot of leverage. And then 2008 hit and that hit us hard. We were in that, you know, wow, we can do no wrong. We're great. We know what we're doing with real estate investing. And then we realized that when you have when you're over leveraged, you don't have enough money in reserves you do short-term loans and short-term construction loans that you can get in trouble. So uh, Kathy and I personally got in trouble with that. We were upside down in several properties. We had a couple of properties in uh, California that uh, lost half their value and were completely upside down underwater. And then we had other properties around the country that same thing, We we bought them these no income, no asset loans that you could get back then. It was so easy to just acquire properties without having enough reserves. And so we just, we just, we were like, here's our advice, you know, take it. We're not leaving it. <laughs> we're not using it. <laughs> so it's just like, just not following our own advice. And so we got bit hard. We lost a bunch of properties to um, short sales. We had a couple of foreclosures. So it was a really, really tough time. But with that came a lot of lessons in that now we're diligent about sharing those lessons, especially with new investors about, have at least six months of reserves. So if there is a downturn, as long as you can hold and control the property through the downturn, you're gonna be fine. That property is gonna be worth more in the future. So as long as you have those cash reserves, as long as a property makes sense from day one, it cash flows at least a little bit, it's not negative. Some of our deals, we were having to fund, you know, three, four, $500 a month of negative cash flow was having to come out of our savings and go toward that property every month as even before the downturn. So it was just a silly way to invest. And we we learned some powerful lessons that now we share with with newer investors, especially over the last 10 years where people have done really well. And they think, you know, look at me, I'm a pro real estate investor. This is great. But now things are shifting a little bit with interest rates rising and um, everything that's going on out there with, with real estate and uh, sales cooling off and prices leveling and off and all that. So, so I think that's key.
1: Right. Yeah. That's um. You know, definitely a rough time, but uh, I'm glad it didn't sour sour real estate. You know, for the for the long run, that you were able to bounce back and um. You know, build back from there because I know when when prices go down and people are starting to not you know be as bullish on the market, that's probably where the most buying opportunities are because there's less uh competition. Um, you know, prices are lower than they were relative to the same cash flow that you're getting. So right. um, you know, it's definitely a powerful time to um to have gotten into real estate, even though before it might it might have not looked as pretty in the at the time. So um, but now I'm sure some people are I mean, if you look out into the world, you can see there's a lot of people speculating about the market. Obviously there's fear yeah. you know my you know there's the the scale of greed and fear it might be feels like fear might be tipping um being you know tipping the scale in that direction but um I kind of wanted to know how you're addressing the fear in the market um like what you how you're you're seeing this current market situation and what you're doing about it
0: Yeah, you know, Kathy was in the news for years before I met her. She worked for ABC7. She worked for KTVU, which is a Fox uh, news station up in the Bay Area. And she knows, as we know nowadays, that, you know, if it if it bleeds, it leads. You know, you want to get eyeballs. You want people to be scared, get that emotion, and they're going to be tuning in more. So, yes, there's a ton of fear out there. And I think a lot of it comes from the media. And then writing these stories and doing these segments on how the crash is coming? How here comes two thousand eight again? And um, people can't afford it. People are going to be homeless. They put all this fear because it gets eyeballs. But the truth is, it's it's a completely different scenario than two thousand eight. You know, just one fact in that is that over eighty percent of people now have uh, long term mortgages that are uh, under four percent under 4% it's incredible. So and they have equity in their house, all that equity that's built over the last 10 years. So it's like why would anyone walk away from their property like they used to. You know back then like I said we had um properties that were upside down. They lost half their value and we're like wait a minute this is a negative cash flow property. It we owe more than it costs. It's like Why don't we just do a short sale? Why do we want to hold this? And we have a you know an interest rate on it that's like seven percent or eight percent back then, you know, which seemed good back then. Uh, That's why there was such a foreclosure crisis. It was just too easy to walk away from those properties. Now people with all their built-in equity and their low interest rates, they don't want to walk away from the property. They're going to do everything they can to control it. And and have that locked in. So I mean that that's just one factor. Um, when you look at employment, employments, uh, um, unemployment's a lot better nowadays than it was then in 2008. Um, we don't have these major you know funders like uh, Lehman Brothers collapsing or anything. So it it really it's a different world, no doubt about it. It's just I think it's just what's happened with all the stimulus and all the money that's put into the. Uh, money supply, you know, and the Fed is trying to now pull that back. And by raising interest rates, I think a lot of people nowadays kind of have that PTSD from 2008, or they remember it or their parents went through it and they don't want the same thing to happen. So, so what do we do here? You know, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to invest. And, and there's a lot of fear. And what happens is when you have that fear, I think the best way to do it uh, for me, and what when I used to coach a lot of people is I would start with breathing, that deep, deep breath into your belly, through your nose and a deep breath out. And it sounds a little woo-woo or new age or something, but actually there's a physiological change that happens in our body. When you take a deep breath down into your diaphragm, you actually stimulate that vagus nerve that runs up into the base of your brain and that affects your prefrontal cortex. It increases your heart rate variability. And it is proven to actually calm you down, have you be more grounded, have you be more confident, have you be more solid. And so, just a, you know, three, four deep, real long, slow breaths really can shift you out of that fight or flight mode, out of that fear mode into more calm, grounded, and sensible person <laughs> and thinking that way. And then after that, you know, it's sometimes it's the best thing. What I like to do is just like, there's that little voice in your head. I like to call it the gremlin. It's that little voice. It's just like, you, you're going to fail. You can't do this. And it usually comes from our past and past experiences. And it's trying to protect you from things that have happened in the past. It's trying to keep you safe from embarrassment and loss and failure and pain. So it's doing its best job to keep you safe, but it often overprotects. It often comes up this language in these stories that are not based on reality it's based on the past and it's based on just really fear based so after you take those few breaths you just check in and i like to close my eyes and just say hey gremlin what's up it sounds like you're on you got something to say here you know my i'm clenching my jaw i'm tense i'm getting snappy i'm getting fearful i think you might be here gremlin what's going on and it's amazing because that subconscious part of your brain will actually speak to your consciousness and say Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that you're not prepared. I'm af- I'm afraid that you don't have enough cash reserves to last us out. And then you can say, okay, let's see. So I'm not prepared. So you, you need me to learn something. And then you can say, okay, what do I need to learn? And you can write down a list of I need to learn this. I need to talk to this person, whatever. And then when it comes to the cash reserves, it's like, how? Where are my cash reserves? And how long will they will I survive? And if I stop getting rent on my properties and that money's not coming in, how long can I, what's my runway, if you will. And so it's important to just, to take that advice from the fear, not let it control you or make you procrastinate or hold back or not take action. It's just tap into it, calm yourself down, get grounded, listen to what it has to say, and then kind of build that into your plans. When you're saying, here's my goal, here's where I want to go. And then you can even say, this is my goal, this is what I want, hey fear, hey gremlin, what do you have to say about this? Any concerns here? Any, any obstacles that you think I might encounter? And looking at your obstacles ahead of time with a goal increases your odds of, of achieving that goal a, a crazy amount. They've done studies on that where they take two groups. They have one group and they uh, their university studies. One group just sets their goals and they go after their goals for three months. The other group of people set their goals. Then they all look at the obstacles and they discuss the obstacles obstacles they might encounter in the group that it's something crazy. It's like 82 or 86% higher accomplishment rate of their goals than the group that never looked at the obstacles because they're prepared ahead of time. The, the second group, that obstacle might come up. And when it does come up, they're just like, oh, I've thought about this ahead of time. Here's what I'm going to do because of this obstacle. And I'm going to keep pushing forward and I'm going to accomplish this goal. So it's a really, really cool process.
1: Yeah, that's that's fascinating, and um, I on on that note, we're talking about kind of how we have fear in respect to the the goal that one has. I know we've talked about this concept of of real wealth, and I know how a lot of this is infused in in your most recent book, which I I really like the to, to talk a little bit about. But but first, I've when I started getting into reading about real estate, I'd I'd always go for these um to, for nonfiction books, and it was like how to do it, like. Like technical skills, like just different ideas and tax yeah. strategies and whatnot. And um, at some point, it's like, wait, like what do I do with all this? It's just like so much information. And um, I was like, okay, I need a fresh, I need a breath of fresh air. I need to read like a, a fiction book. And I read um a book by C.S. Lewis uh, called Out of the Silent Planet. And I was mm. I was blown away because I learned so much from this fiction story because it pretty much it was a bunch of ideals and concepts and and things that he wanted to talk about. But by infusing it to a character, something that you can relate to, and putting in a story, I actually was able to yeah. not just learn the idea, the lessons, but like not just learn the ideas, but really like understand the ideas, like be part of the ideas, feel the ideas, and so I, I'm really fascinated by by your book because it pretty much infuses the idea of real estate, which I was trying to get, but with the story and with the you know the real reasons and and um you know the emotions behind it and, and in a relatable way where you can really kind of, I'm going to let you talk about it actually, but, but yeah, I I just wanted to preface that. So, um, could you tell us a little bit about your, your newest book and, um, you know, how you, you know, what inspired it?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's just all those things that you were just saying. is so true for me. And that's exactly why I wanted to write a parable. So the wise investor, it's a parable, it's a modern parable. It's almost like if you took Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Alchemist. And um, you kind of just blended it together. Maybe The Richest Man in Babylon. You know, you weave these in, The Go-Giver. So it's that type of book where it's a story that runs through it. And the reason I wrote a parable, because, you know, there's so many awesome books on investing, on improving yourself, you know, so many great nonfiction books. And I've read hundreds of them. What I The reason I wrote a parable and a story is because a story emotionalizes that information and it connects with us on a deeper level and it always has for thousands of years human beings have connected with stories. I mean look at the Bible right look at what Jesus said look at what um the Buddha you know all that they always there's always stories Aesop's fables you know going way back and so that's why I wrote a story because I wanted to, to connect with people emotionally where they can get that information. That information, you know, today is the best time in history for accessing information. So you can find that information in so many places. I wanted to write a story that would inspire action. As a a coach, I love when people take action. I know that's really important to actually accomplish what you want and have the life you want. You have to take action. And one stat that I read about nonfiction books is 86% of people do not finish a nonfiction book. And my first book was a nonfiction book 20 years ago, extreme success. And I'm like, God, I want to put all this work into a book that I want to make it, I want it to make a difference. And 86% of the people are not going to finish it. Um, but more people finish fiction books. So I created a story that's based on reality, um, based on real characters that I've met in my life. But it's a fictional story. And it tells the story of this guy who is a, he's a, Family man, he's got a couple kids, he's got a wife, and he's a hard worker. He's got a decent job, he's making a solid six figures, he's maxing out his 401k. But he realized that he doesn't have time for his wife or his kids, or even to live. He doesn't have, he's not putting his money to work for him. He's overspending. He doesn't realize that in the beginning, but he's overspending, he's not investing. And then he meets this new friend and mentor who shows him how to create real wealth how to create financial security for himself, for his family. And he ends up becoming wealthy in more ways than he ever thought possible. He, and I don't want to do too many spoil alerts here, but (laughs) basically it it follows the story of this guy, Ryan Brooks, and his wife, Carissa, and his kids, and the mentor he meets and his wife. It follows their story over five years. And it's a really quick read. It's a, I'm really, I love the story. I'm really happy with how it turned out but it's kind of compelling and it keeps you going. And there's these lessons that are woven into it. So by the end of the book, you walk away with some real strong mindset shifts and lessons about investing, investing in business, investing in real estate, about assets versus liabilities, about how the wealthy people operate and how wealthy people think compared to poor people. And not just poor people financially, but people who are poor in life. Who don't have time for their lives, or their family, or or their health, so all that, and so that's why the subtitles a modern parable about creating financial freedom and living your best life because it's kind of like all of that. It's about financial freedom, but also really the most important thing is living your best life, which I think that's what we all want, right?
1: Right, and yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a philosophy major in school, which is a pretty much a study nice. of what's the good life, you know, and so I definitely um maybe part of what drove me to real estate is the the freedom to explore that and to really understand that and, um, you know, make time for the things that, that matter. And uh, I'm glad I'm starting at 21. So, um, have a, a long runway where compounding, you got a just, long
0: one, right? And, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So, but and what sure I, uh,
0: you le- learned in philosophy, right? That it's like what, when you really, when people are really happy, it's when they are moving toward their purpose, when they're moving toward important goals, when they're actually accomplishing and growing and improving, that's when we're, happiest uh you know just seeking to sit on the beach with a drink and be around lazy and stuff that really that's been proven not to make us happier you know it seems like that that's the good life but the good life is really giving back and making a difference and having a goal and getting better and being time with people and other humans and friends so that's the good life
1: yeah and if we're you know if we're really going to go down the rabbit hole of philosophy it's um it's interesting that the way you you've put that because to me it's like even when when you have pleasure like so when you when the old ancient Greeks like Plato it's they always would start with the idea of pleasure. Is pleasure the good life? And when you think about when you are only having pleasure that um you know there's there's sometimes it feels like there's something missing where it's like enjoyable but it's like what but why like why why what is about this is like powerful and then when something bad happens like pleasure it's hard to keep the pleasure but what you can do is like keep the the purpose and the meaning and the thing that you're striving for to like create a real difference that it's um maybe and it's like it's a different level of happiness. You know, there's happiness, the feeling of happiness, but then there's like the deep satisfaction and alignment with your values, which yeah. is um much goes much deeper. And um
0: Eudaimonia. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Right? Eudaimonia and Arate for sure. Yeah. Living a flourishing life, growing. Yeah. Love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's many ways to to put it, and it's uh, really interesting to explore the concepts. And you know, if we're if we're gonna stick on Plato, you definitely might think thinking or doing philosophy might be the best life. And it's a uh, funny because maybe the reason he loves it is because it's pleasurable to him as a philosopher. It's just a funny, funny little um, right you know, <laughs> aspect of it. But I mean, something that really struck me about the your your story your, the the um the wise investor is. The The difference between assets and liabilities, which I know anyone who reads Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you've been listening to this podcast consistently, you know that everyone recommends Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But yeah. the, you take the idea of assets and liabilities much deeper into a way that might actually resonate with more people than just the financial assets and financial liabilities. So I kind of hmm. want to flesh out that idea because I feel like the framework that you propose might really, really get, get to the root of like what people want to get out of life and how they can do that. So, no, love that. I love you that. Love yeah, yeah,
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think Robert Kiyosaki did an amazing job with explaining that and waking people up to assets versus liabilities in the financial sense. And Robert wrote the forward for the wise investor, which is quite the blessing and honor, too. It's cool. He liked the story enough. Uh, I love that. Uh, so, the mentor in the story, he explains assets like he takes it an, another step further, just like you were saying. So, Uh, Roberts was all about financial assets and liabilities is fantastic. The mentor says to Ryan, the, the protagonist in the story, he says, I see assets as anything that brings you income or better health or more happiness or time. And liabilities are just the opposite. Liabilities are the things that take away your income. They take away your health. They take away your happiness. They take away your time. So it's just a different, it's a more expanded version of assets Versus liabilities. And it allows us to compartmentalize when you look at that. You say, is this an asset in my life? I'm going to invest money into this. Is it going to bring me more money, more income? You know, acquiring a rental property, acquiring a commercial investment, anything like that. Is this going to add to my income? Of course, that's a great one. Um, but it could be the happiness side of things. You might look at a person in a relationship in your life and say, is this an asset or a liability? Does this person add to my life? Do I add to their life? Do we make each other better? Do we make each other feel better? Or are they a liability? Are they kind of toxic? Are they kind of a complainer? Are they hard to be with? Are they negative? You know, so you have to start to look at that and say, you know, even with your relationships, is this an asset? Is this person an asset or a liability? And if they're a liability, then it's time for a talk with that person that you, they need to shift if they wanna hang out with you and be around you. And if not, then you have to kind of remove those liabilities uh, to live a better life. And so you can do the same thing with health. You can look at things, you know, is this gonna improve my health or take away from my health? Is this gonna improve my time? You know, maybe it's hiring someone for your business, hiring an assistant, hiring a bookkeeper. Uh, That could be a real asset that's gonna free up your time. So just a different way to look at it in a little bit more all encompassing view of assets versus liabilities, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's really interesting and powerful because you look at anything with the with that perspective, right? Even talking talking about investing in a in a property is this property? Yeah, this might be an asset. My cash flow might make me money, but is going to take away my time? Is going to stress me out? Take away my happiness? Is it going to take away my health <laughs> because I'm going to be like I can't sleep because I'm you know I have to think about this or I have to go drive two hours or something like. So there's w- many layers to thinking about it, it's, and like it's much more holistic and um won't when you have all your priorities in mind when you're thinking about a potential decision you're more likely to not have the negative repercussions that you're you don't want and so i thought that that was a really powerful way of putting it
0: that's cool yeah so you almost see i've never thought of this before but you could almost like make a grid and you could just have all those things you know income happiness health and time and then you could look at the the potential asset and just say you know does it is it going to increase my income check is it going to increase my happiness? No. Is it going to increase my time? No. You might say like, oh, say it's maybe you're looking at a property that's, you know, really beat up, run down and you could do a fix and flip on it. And you might say, yeah, this could increase my income, but is it, is it going to increase my time? Is it going to increase my happiness? You might be like, not for me, for some people they that love the fix and flip game, you know, but for, you know, someone who's a business professional or they have their own career it'd be like, well, that might not fit in the asset category for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. It's definitely, um, there's many ways to do real estate where passive investing might actually work in terms of, I don't have to think about it. So it's not time. It's not happiness or cause you know, I'll be able to accomplish my yeah. goals without taking away from the things that make me happy. So yeah, it's just like, it's crazy that you could think about a lot of different things in that framework. So very powerful. Um, so one last question before the lighting round. I was just interested to hear where you are, um, you know, you talked about at the beginning about finding emerging markets and kind of you know, how your approach to investing that way. But I wanted to think like, what are some markets that you um see opportunity in and kind of like a little uh, flesh out a little bit more how you approach that?
0: Yeah, we're, you know, most most of our, you know, Kathy and, Kathy and myself, where we have most of our investments and where we're still investing and where we're guiding our members to invest is more in the South, the Southeast. Um, we're actually starting a, a second fund of single family properties, one to four units. We just closed one out. We had it running for about five years. We recently sold all those properties. You know, We raised the funds through investors, uh, teamed up and partnered with investors. We raised the funds and we acquired a, acquired a whole bunch of single family properties that were cash flowing. Um, so it just made it very passive for the investors. They just got to invest into it and then they get their return later. And then when we sell all the properties, they share in the profits. So we just started a second um, larger fund of single family properties in the Houston area because Houston is continuing to grow. People are moving there. The um, uh, It's actually still appreciating. The price to rent ratio is really solid. So that's why we're doing. So we're focused on Houston right now for this single family fund. And so Kathy are not invested in that with our members. And But some of those other Southeast states are um, we have a bunch of properties and property teams in Florida, all over Florida, from right from Orlando down to Jacksonville and Tampa, um, all over Florida. And we have stuff in Indianapolis and North Carolina, um, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um in the Houston area, the Dallas area. Those are the main those are the main areas where we're investing and our members are investing.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing. And yeah, definitely I'm not a lot of good trends going on in many of those areas that I've been aware of. And, um, you know, definitely a little more friendly to landlords in California, if I had to guess.
0: They're friendlier than California. Yeah, California is not the greatest to be a landlord. We've done it. I don't think we'll do it again. I mean, we have a couple short term rentals in California that do really well. And it's a little easier, you know, it's because uh, you don't run into all the eviction laws and everything when you're just, you know, using Airbnb or something. It's a lot simpler than these three or four night stays. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then we also syndicate. So we do group investments where we will do usually ground up residential development. Uh, so right now we have projects going on in Reno, Nevada, Bozeman, Montana, uh, Park city, Utah, developing single family homes and townhomes uh, right near the ski resorts. So that's kind of the, the other side of the business, the syndicating side, the commercial side.
1: Awesome. Well, that's really exciting. Um, yeah, definitely. A lot, a lot of, I guess you got diversification, we could say, a lot of different markets and uh, yeah, strategies. Yeah,
0: thank you. So, yes, staying in our lane with residential real estate because that's what we know and it's what we've done since 2003. Um, but, you know, we have friends in self storage who have, you know, thousands of self storage units all over the country. We have friends in multifamily, commercial, you know, triple net leases short-term rentals they specialize in. So I think the most important thing is there is like pick your lane and stay in it, become an expert, really understand it and know what you're doing. Be a very skilled, wise investor in those and then slowly expand into something else if you wanna try something else, but uh, don't get too far out of your lane. That's one thing that we've learned because we tried to jump into multifamily, just like, oh, this looks so easy and then realized how challenging that can be if you don't know what you're doing. You have to really have a good mentor. You have to long track record um, and kind of start smaller, start with partners. So we, we decided years ago to just stay in our lane, do what we do well. And that increases your chance of, uh, of not losing money.
1: Great. Well, that's great advice. And so you ready for the lightning round. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So first, what superpower would you want if you could choose any superpower?
0: I'm just, I would just turn it up to like, just being able to, to read people at a, at just the highest level, you know, I'm decent at it now being a coach and all that stuff, but the power of just being able to really get where someone's coming from. Um, I think that would be a game changer in life for friendships, for relationships, for business partnerships, all that.
1: Great. Yeah. And that tends to be the hardest question, even though it's supposed to be the simple one. But um, what's your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most besides uh, the cool, the great ones that you have?
0: <laughs> right. um, You know, there's been so many, you know, I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to give a different answer here because there's been so many amazing books that have changed my life. Um, but I subscribe to optimize.me And Optimize, it's free, it's amazing. This guy, Brian Johnson, he does these summaries of the greatest books ever written and uh, everything from personal development to spiritual teachings and all this stuff. And he boils these books down into a six page PDF and a 20 minute audio. And you have access to all these. And so he gives you just the biggest ideas And he does a great job at it of these amazing books. And so it's almost like you can read one of these great books that you hear so many people talk about and you can get it done in 20 minutes. And then if it's really speaks to you and you're like, oh, that's, that sounds amazing. This book's great. This philosopher's note has been amazing. Then you go buy the book I've done. I've probably bought, you know, 40, 50 books because I've heard them from Brian summarized. And I'm like, I want to get this one, but I've probably listened to three or 400 of his philosopher's notes on all these books. So I'm going to go with that one. His favorite thing I've done is optimize.me for books.
1: Awesome. Well, that's a that's a great one. That's interesting. I'm definitely going to check it out. So yeah, what motivates you to it. continue every day?
0: I mean, my family, number one, I have two daughters. I have a two and a half year old grandson now. Um, you know, family drives me. I just, I, I love my family and my purpose drives me i got very clear on my purpose about 15 years ago that i just love to help people get the most out of life to become their best selves when i was a coach i noticed that's what fired me up i did a lot of work on it to find my purpose and it was just like whether it's taking someone out rock climbing for the first time and see them break through their fears and make it to the top of a climb like just that, and seeing them elated and so high on it. I literally get teary eyed when that happens. And, um, but it can also be our purpose at Real Wealth when we help people create real wealth and we hear their stories and we interview them and they say, and here's where I was. That was, it was really challenging. Here's what I did. I acquired these investment properties and here's the things I put in place in my life. And here's where I am now. And they're so much more fulfilled and so much happier and everything. That's, that's my purpose. So that, that drives me. It drives me. It drives our whole team.
1: Great. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps?
0: Oh, don't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> you can end up getting hurt. Um, I'm thinking of my adventure sports that I love to do. I'm just uh, a little bit of an adrenaline addict. But um, I, I would say just you know, in, in all seriousness. Um, my philosophy is that when we get better, everything around us gets better. So that's exactly my focus is continuously getting better. And, you know, you hear this a lot about become a better version of yourself and all that. And it's almost a meme nowadays in social media. Um, But I really step back and take a look at it and say like, okay, what version am I today? You know, I drive a Tesla and it's constantly coming up on on the screen. It says a new version has been updated. You have a new version of software in your Tesla and it's always a little better. And so I was thinking about that for myself. I'm like, what version am I? And I I just started to think about it. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm version 58.6 right now, you know? So it's like, what's version 58.7 going to be? What's version 60.0 going to be? So I think that's the key is always looking at how can you get a little better, improve. It doesn't have to be huge changes, but get a little better every day. And that includes learning and includes balance, all those things. And I wove a lot of that into my book purposefully because that's if if I was going to give advice about you know following my footsteps it's it's that is don't just follow in my footsteps follow in the footsteps of the stoics and and you know anyone who's done anything for personal development or philosophy uh, who's really reflected on life it's like work on yourself become a better human
1: great yeah definitely can corroborate that um Marcus Aurelius and uh you know, Aristotle, they all, they all talk about the same, same themes. It's the same human condition. And when you we yeah. want to learn something new, sometimes you got to read an old book and um, it's really, it's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. So since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So ask me anything you want to know about me.
0: Oh, um, when are you going to write your book?
1: Uh, so that, <laughs> that's funny. So the, the book writing process is in, is an ongoing endeavor. Um. So yeah, it is. I I guess. Uh. You say I've already started. Um. What I'm doing so far as I'm r- journaling every day to um keep track of my thoughts and you know have something to build upon as I as I flesh out my ideas and how I view the world and um you know what lessons have been powerful to me and which ones um nice. I want to you know share with the world and I that I think can help people because I'm I'm very motivated by helping people as well. And um, so, I mean, yeah, when I'm thinking about it, I do want it to be a story as well. So if you can resonate in that, the ideas Ooh, can nice. sink in, you know, so that's what I'm thinking, but maybe it'll be in a, a form of a memoir. Um, the one thing I is, I love it, it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing I was considering considering is if I wanted to write one now, it's like, what can you learn from a 21 year old? Cause then it would like embrace the fact that do I really have uh, you know, people who are, would re- be reading it would, have a lot more experience or the same amount of experience, but maybe something about, um, you know, how did I think as a 20 or year, one-year-old? Maybe that can shed some light on the experience of someone who's, who's been through more, maybe double that or, or triple that. So um, yeah, I definitely have to consult some other people and and compare notes, but that that's one idea I've had.
0: That's great. Well, it's the old line, you know, a goal is a dream with a deadline. So you have to give some thought It's like, is it going to come out three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you know, you put some, put it, you got to put a flag in the sand and say, I'm going to have my book done in three years or or five years, but got to have it. If it's like, I'm going to do a book someday, you're going to, you're going to be, you know, 61 and saying, yeah, I'm I'm still working on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the irony of that is the title for my book is which is pretty much what I got so far is if if not now when
0: oh nice there you go yeah <laughs> you get
1: a white awesome I love it right so it's uh right in that theme so yeah I'm thinking thinking about that a lot and um I guess i've I'm making little steps every day and, and learning more about myself every day Good and for
0: you awesome so,
1: yeah well well great well this is a an awesome interview and I think we've all learned a lot I've definitely enjoyed it um but where can people find more find out more about you about real wealth and uh most importantly where can they find the book
0: um books everywhere where books are sold right now uh in kindle version and ebook um the hardcover is still being printed the supply chain issues is holding up the printing presses everywhere it takes seven months now to get a book printed um but the audiobook is out on kindle and uh i mean not on kindle on audible uh so audiobook and the kindle version are available now pretty much anywhere. Amazon is usually the easiest to find it. Um, And then as far as uh, connecting with me, really simple. Our company website is realwealth.com. That's where a membership is free and we provide a ton of free education and access to investment properties nationwide. And then social media, really simple, just Rich Fetke, F-E-T-T-K-E.
1: Awesome. Well, I encourage everyone to check it out and uh, grab a book if uh, what we've been talking about resonates with you. So um, Rich and everyone, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones.